Hello and welcome to the Clean and Filthy Podcast, where we are clean and serene with a filthy mind in between. My name is Matthew M. I am your host and also an addict in recovery. Welcome to episode 24, y'all. Absolutely mind-blowing that we are at this point right now. I am so grateful. I feel so blessed to be in this, this position and have this opportunity to, to help bring light to recovery and i couldn't have done it without all of you i'm so just grateful beyond words but i i digress what up welcome hope everybody had a wonderful week week and weekend i know i did mine was super busy we're gonna get into all the details here a little bit further but before we go anywhere we got to talk about a couple things here first off Huge thank you to our episode sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Etc. by Emily. If you are looking for a job or if you're looking and need staffing for a party or an event, check out her information in the description below. Great company. Used to work for them. If you end up going over there, tell them I said what's up and that Matthew M. from the Queen of Filthy Podcast sent them on over. Also, have to give a huge thank you to our music, our theme music for the Queen of Filthy podcast, the amazing song Anything by Valentino Khan and Alice in Wonderland. Huge thank you to Mad Decent Records, all of the streaming information below as well. Check it out. Also, have to give a huge thank you and what up to our VIP supporters. These are the people on Patreon putting money into this project so that we can continue to grow and expand and improve and carry the message in even better ways. If you're interested in becoming a VIP supporter of this podcast, please head over to Patreon. Easiest way to get there is to head to the website, www.queenandfilthypodcast.com. Top right corner is the Patreon link, and you can go ahead and uh, make a donation there. And if you do, you will get one of these awesome, clean, and filthy podcast stickers to be displayed wherever you like. I've been seeing them on water bottles, so shout out to everybody who's carrying the branding for this podcast wherever you go trying to stay hydrated. And if you're in Arizona, that is everywhere you go during the summer. And if you would like to be one of these amazing supporters, like I said, head over to Patreon and then you will get a shout out on air like these amazing people who support this podcast. And they are Alex B, Sage A, Cindy, Stephanie, Shar, Liana, Clint, and Alex T. that the, the number of names of our contributors keeps going up and it's so crazy to me. I... I'm so damn grateful to each and every one of you, whether you're a VIP supporter or not. I'm so grateful 
that that you're a part of this journey with me. So again, my name is Matthew M, and this is the Clean and Filthy Podcast. What are we, you ask? We are a 12-step recovery-based podcast. We are live on YouTube every single Tuesday at 5 p.m. Arizona time with episodes available for download wherever you consume your podcast later on tonight or this evening. We usually get the new episodes up by about 8.39 p.m. on Tuesdays, Arizona time. So definitely check them out wherever you are. If you are on YouTube right now, what up, y'all? We have a great group of people that come together for the live stream. Have fun in the chat. Get the chat popping, y'all. Let's go. And if you are on YouTube in the live stream right now, please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you can be the first to know when we go live. You get that notification whenever we go live, and uh, you can always be there to help support us. And if you are live right now on YouTube and you want to help support this podcast, please make sure to go download this episode and all of our episodes wherever you consume podcasts from. We're listed on everything. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, All the different podcast directories, we are listed, and it really, really helps us grow. We are very, very close to hitting quadruple-digit downloads, and it would be amazing if we could get there pretty quickly. So if you can, please download the podcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with somebody so they can download the podcast. Let's get those numbers up, because as we've talked about before, the the addict in me has me checking my my Buzzsprout account um, way more incessantly than I will admit to on air, watching that number creep a little bit closer and closer and closer to 1,000. And, and, and for the sake of my anxiety levels, y'all need to help me out and get those numbers up over 1,000. Give me the quadruple digits, y'all. Um, but seriously, I love all the support. I appreciate each and every one of you, and thank you for being in the live stream or the download. If you are listening on a podcast directory and you want to take part in the live stream, like I said, head over to our YouTube page. Best thing to do is to head to the website and make sure that you have liked, followed, subscribed, all of our social media accounts that are listed in the top right corner of the website so you can know exactly when we go live and then can be part of the live stream. So what up, everybody? I'm so glad each and every one of you is here. Thank you so very much. So, so, so very much. I'm really hyped today. It's been a crazy, busy, but amazing past week. We got tons to talk about today. And, uh, yeah, it's good. It's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun ride today. So before we get into our first segment, we got to talk about what we do, what we don't do, who we are and all that. So again, my name is Matthew M. I am an addict in recovery. And this is the Queen of Filthy podcast. We are here to develop a excitement about recovery from the disease of addiction. We are here every single week. We talk about traditions. We talk about steps. We talk about spiritual principles. We talk about all of the things that us addicts in recovery go through on a daily basis and how we work a program of recovery and the challenges and the obstacles that come up within our lives that maybe don't come up in other people's lives. You know, So that's what we are here to do. But we are not here to endorse or identify with any one 12-step fellowship. 
I want to make sure to stay in line with the traditions, as we talked about a lot last week. If you didn't check out episode 23 of the Queen of Filthy podcast, please make sure to do so now and get a better understanding of what we're talking about. But I am here to just develop more information about recovery, to try to be a resource to help people who maybe have questions about recovery or about addiction or about the things that us addicts in recovery go through. So that is why we are here. This is not here to replace a 12-step meeting or a call with your sponsor or going to a meeting or doing step work or being of service. We are just here to try and develop that, that understanding and be an additional resource because for addicts like myself, I need as many resources as I can possibly get. So that's what we're here to do. So if you have questions about a specific 12-step fellowship or about how to get a sponsor, about what home group I attend or what service committees and subcommittees I'm a part of or how to get into treatment or sober living or recovery residence or any of those things, please reach out to me directly. I will be more than happy to help however I can. But these are topics that will not be discussed on air to make sure that I do stay in line with the traditions. Easiest way to get a hold of me, you can contact me on any social media account or you can just hit me up directly off the website. Head to www.cleanandfilthypodcast.com, click on the contact us page, Hit me up, and I will be more than happy to help however I can. But I just want to make sure that everybody understands what we do, what we don't do, who we are, how to find us, and how to to develop this fun in recovery. So if you're an addict in recovery, welcome. I hope you stick around and hear something that you like. If you're an addict who's not in recovery, welcome. Please stick around and hear something. Maybe it'll be something that can help get you on that path to recovery. If you're somebody who has a family member or a friend or, or a loved one that is suffering with the disease of addiction, welcome. We are here to give as much information and help develop that community of, of people just to be a resource of one addict helping another. Because as we've talked about, that's without parallel. So whoever you are, you're exactly where you should be. Hopefully you stick around. If you're new Welcome. If you're a returning listener, viewer, I'm so glad you're here. And hopefully you hear something you like. And if you do, please share it. As I always say, we are an independent podcast. It is myself doing the production, the editing, the the IT, the marketing, all that. And the way that we grow is through all of y'all. And so if you do hear something that you like, please share it. And maybe then they can share it. If you hear something you don't like, please let me know. I always, always love interacting with our listeners. I Obviously, you know, my ego loves being stroked and like, hey, everything you're doing is amazing. I love that. But I love just as much hearing constructive criticism of ways that I could improve this podcast and and that I can carry this message in a better way to, to the masses because that's the end goal. The whole point of this podcast is to be able to help one more person. And if I can do that with this podcast and I feel that it is successful. So that's what we do. That's what we don't do. It's who we are. And let's get into our very first segment. Let's head to the lab for some R&D, recovery and development. All right, y'all, we are in the lab. 
This is the part of the show where we look at a different step, tradition, concept, or spiritual principle from the 12-step recovery model and discuss it a little bit more. This is where we get a little bit deeper into the literature. This is where we get a little bit deeper into the things that we need to go through in our recovery on a daily basis. So if you're not an addict and you're like, wait, what? That's okay. I say this every episode. I'm going to say it again in this segment. But the beautiful thing about recovery in the 12-step model is that it's not just about removing drugs. It's about becoming a better human being and finding a way to live a better life. I've always said I believe the 12-step model could be utilized by every single human being on this planet. Whether you have a substance abuse issue, whether you have a process addiction, whether you have gone through trauma, whether you go through character defects and just living in those, whatever it is, the 12-step model, in my opinion, is very beneficial and can be utilized, in my opinion. Maybe it's just because it's worked so incredibly well in my life, but I personally believe that it can be beneficial for everybody. So we are in the lab. It's time to look a little bit deeper and get a little bit deeper into the literature, get a little bit deeper into the traditions, the steps, and all that. And guess what, y'all? absolutely crazy being that it is episode 24 this is tradition 12 y'all we will have officially made it through all 12 steps all 12 traditions in six months and that that's pretty cool just to take a quick second to to digress here as i talked about before in one of my previous episodes that was my goal my goal for success, my barometer for success of this podcast was to make it through six months, which was 24 episodes on time, regardless of how many downloads we got, regardless if we were making money, regardless of any of those things, just to be able to do that. And we, we were on time today again. So technically we have hit that goal and that I just have to take a second to reflect on that. And Thank all of you out there for, for helping me on this journey. Um, I genuinely could not have done it without y'all. So thank you so much. So, so much. And now let's get into tradition number 12. Every time I say that, my brain just goes boop, just a little bit, just kind of explodes just, just a little bit. So as I said, this is where we talk about steps, traditions, and all that. We're on tradition 12 and the traditions are deep. The traditions are that next level recovery. So if you're not familiar or you're a newcomer, or this is all just sounding so crazy to you, that's okay. I highly recommend checking out our previous 23 episodes. They are in order going through steps one through 12 and then traditions one through 12. And each one of the steps build on each other. Each one of the traditions build on each other. So it really is beneficial to have a good understanding of all of the previous traditions before getting into this one. With that being said, hopefully everybody's caught up and let's get into tradition number 12. What does it say? It says, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. All right, so I'm gonna be full honest, full disclosure here. When I first read this, when I first got clean, and I'm reading through the traditions, this seemed like a very odd tradition to me. Like, I'm looking at, okay, anonymity, talk about being anonymous, 
yeah, we don't use our last names, right? That's that, yeah, that's, so how is not using somebody's last name the spiritual foundation of a program? How is that a thing? Well, it says in the literature, when we first come to the fellowship, we might think anonymity is just not knowing each other's last names or what we do on the outside. But as we're going to discuss a little bit further on here, it's so much more than that. This other quote from the literature really tied into to my thought process when I first got clean. And it says that tradition 12 is not mysterious, but it grows in meaning and richness as we participate all our tradition, as I'm sorry, as we practice all our traditions, pray and meditate and discover the gifts within it. And that is so my story when it comes to the working this tradition specifically and just the spiritual principle of anonymity because it was such a, a, a foreign concept to me personally that I didn't understand how deep the spiritual principle of anonymity truly goes within the steps, within the traditions, within the fellowship as a whole. So we're going to get into that a lot more. It's so funny because when I first was thinking about this tradition, I'm like, man, this is going to be a really easy, quick episode. There's like not a whole lot to go into. And then I really started researching it and digging a little deeper and a little deeper as happens within the literature. And there's a lot to go over today. So first thing we got to do, as always, is talk about the spiritual principles within this tradition. And of course, this is my experience, strength, and hope. There are massive amounts of spiritual principles that can tie directly into a specific step or tradition, but these are just how the ones that I feel personally vibed with. These are the ones I personally see when I was working through this tradition. And they are anonymity, obviously, it's in the, the title, humility, unity, respect, integrity, gratitude, and faith. And we're going to talk about this more a little bit, a little bit deeper here, a little bit further on. But when we look at Tradition 12, there's ties to literally every single one of the previous traditions, as well as to the fellowship as a whole, especially Tradition 1. It says in the literature, there is a vital link between Tradition 12 and Tradition 1. They frame our traditions and establish the spirits in which our work will be done, close quote. Love that. The spirit in which our work in the fellowship will be done. Before we even get any further, we got to do a definition of what anonymity is, other than being a difficult word to say. I can't, if I had a dollar for every time myself and other recovering addicts stumbled over the word anonymity, and then you got to do it twice in a row if you're reading the traditions because you go from a tradition 11 right into tradition 12 and you got to say anonymity twice. I would be a rich man, but I digress. The definition of anonymity says it's the condition of being anonymous or the lack of outstanding individual or unusual features. And we're going to get into this a lot more. So bear with me here. And we have referenced this term anonymity many times in the past. We've talked about the spiritual principle many times throughout the last 23 episodes. We've talked about personal, an personal anonymity in the fellowship. You know, we talked about not using last names. We've talked about not identifying with the fellowship in press, radio, or films. 
But it says in the, in the literature that anonymity allows us to experience equality and allows us to be human and humane. So we're going to really be tying in anonymity with the concept of equality and with how it ties into this tradition specifically. Because when we focus on anonymity, that helps us become unified. When we focus on equality, then that helps us become unified. When we are simply members of a fellowship, we are unified. It says in the literature, we allow each other to be members, to recover in dignity, and to carry the message to the best of our ability. This is why, you know, we talk about so often of finding the similarities, not the differences. This is why we don't identify as this type of addict or that type of addict. We want to talk about that level of anonymity that allows us to just be an addict, just be a member of the fellowship. It says in the literature, and I really love this because it's something that I didn't understand early on in my recovery, but it says the core of our disease is self-centeredness. Its opposite is freedom from self. Anonymity is so much more than not being identified by name or having no name. It means we let go of the things with which we have identified ourselves and the ways in which we expect recognition. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of us when we first get into the rooms. When we first get into the rooms, we want to be special. We want to be different. We want to be the center of attention. We want our self-centeredness to come out because that is the core of the disease of addiction. And so you see a lot of times in meetings where people will identify as a, this type of an addict. You know, my name's so-and-so, and I'm a dope fiend. My name's so-and-so, and I snort perks. My name's so-and-so, I shoot, I shoot heroin in my ball sack. Whatever it is, doing those type of things speaks to some level of underlying self-centeredness or self-seeking element, or simply not understanding what anonymity really is. And I did those things when I was early on. I wanted to feel different. I wanted to feel special. And I'm not saying that this is a, a conscious thing that people do, but it is still something that does occur. But when we can apply the spiritual principle of anonymity to this way of self-centeredness, self-seeking, it allows us to live in a unified cause. We no longer have this desire to want to be different, to want to be recognized as something special. When we apply anonymity to our program, to ourselves, it says that we are all equal. It says in the literature, anonymity means that we surrender to being part of something greater than ourselves. We don't have to worry about who we are or where we fit. Anonymity allows me to not have to, to, to have these false conceptions of who I am, these masks of grandiose ideas about who I am. It allows me to just be a part of the fellowship. It allows me to be the part of something greater. It allows me to carry a message and have a common goal without having to worry about the other bullshit. And when we can be ourselves, so can others. And when others can be themselves, 
then we don't start looking at people through their titles or through their their genders or their sexual orientations or their race or their religion or what they do outside of the fellowship or any of those things. We don't care about statuses. We don't care about roles in society. There's no higher standing. And anonymity is the spiritual principle that ties all of that together. It says in the literature, there's no room for this kind of status in the fellowship. Each of us is simply carrying and receiving the message. And that's, that's, so, that, that's vital. That is the, the, the primary purpose of the fellowship is to carry the message. We talked about this. What is the message? Is that an addict, any addict, can stop using, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. That part. Fuck it. That part, that part, that part, that That deserves a multiple that part because that is the core right there, right there. And anonymity allows us to to shed all of those other things, all of the masks, all of the statuses, all of the letters after our names or bank accounts or what we drive or what we wear or what we look like because at the end of the day, none of those things matter. None of those things matter at all. In recovery, we get to experience people for who they are, not what they are, not what religion they go, they subscribe to, not what color their skin is, not what kind of car they drive, not any of those things. We get to experience who they are. It says in the literature, by taking the focus off our personal differences, Anonymity allows addicts of all backgrounds and personality types to recover together in unity. And again, we go back to the topic of finding similarities, not the differences. Because if I'm focused on finding those differences, I will find differences all the way out of the fellowship. And that was a struggle for me, especially early on. I would look at somebody and say, well, you didn't use how I did, or you used way worse than I did, so we can't be the same. That's why we always talk about unity. That's why we talk about not identifying with what we use by using non-drug-specific language. The reason that we do all of those is, is at its core anonymity because that anonymity allows us to stay unified. It says in the literature, it says, none of us is better or worse, more or less important, more or less worthy, or likely to make it another day. Anonymity gives us all a break and gives us each a chance. And this is a direct tie-in to tradition number three, where the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using. It's not that you use, you know, the only, the requirement isn't that you use this drug in this way. The requirement isn't that you are this race or this religion or this sexual orientation or this gender or this political party or this. No, the only requirement is the desire to stop using. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean sometimes those other elements don't get brought in. And we're going to talk about that here next in the concept of principles over personalities because personalities do come in. But when the only requirement is the desire to stop using, that forces us to embrace the spiritual principle of anonymity. 
that forces us to strip away all the other shit, to strip away all the other bullshit, to strip away all the other outside issues and just focus on the message and focus on hearing that message. And I've talked about this before. It's difficult sometimes when somebody that maybe I have preconceived notions about because of their life or their political party or their religion, culture, whatever it is, whatever could have some outside issue, predetermined thought process in my brain that can cause difficulty. That, that is the time. Those are the opportunities I have to make sure to embrace anonymity. Because when I do that, I forget about all those things. If I'm living within the 12th tradition and within the spiritual principle of anonymity, all of that outside shit doesn't matter. All of that trivial shit doesn't matter. And sometimes that can be difficult to separate. But when we are here just for the message and we are here to just carry the message to the best of our ability, then we have a unified purpose. Then we have a purpose full of anonymity. And that is what this tradition is all about. That part. So we got to look at the second part of it here. The principles over personalities part. First off, we talk about spiritual principles a lot, right? That's something that we talk about every single episode. But what are spiritual principles? We should probably have a definition for them, right? The definition of spiritual principle says, a spiritual principle is a truth or creed that we choose to live by. They are different from values because they don't include things such as family or finances. They are universal concepts that help us to become better people. Again, why I talk about all the time that I came into the fellowship thinking that I just needed to stop using drugs. I stay in the fellowship because I want to become a better person. I want to grow as a human being. And we do that by implementing spiritual principles in our lives. Because when I begin applying honesty in my life, I become a more honest person. When I focus on gratitude, I become a more grateful person. That's why before we even ever get into the meat of, our, of the recovery and development section, the segment, we always talk about the spiritual principles first because I want to emphasize how important they truly are. But in order to implement these spiritual principles in our lives, we have to know and understand them first, right? So how do we understand, how do we even know what a spiritual principle is first? What do we say? Help me. That's what we do. And we get that knowledge and we get that understanding. And we talk to, to members and we hear the message. The message is full of spiritual principles. The mess is not. But the message is. That's why we talk about needing to keep principles before personalities. Because when you start bringing in the, the personalities part, that starts to get messy. But when you stick with the message part, that is the part that's full of spiritual principles. But I got to say, it takes time to identify spiritual principles and understand spiritual principles. And then the next step of implementing them into our lives, this takes time, especially for a lot of addicts like myself who were living 
in defect for so long. Not just in active addiction. I was living in defect in areas of my life well before I ever got into the program. Well before I ever got into active addiction. Elements of dishonesty. Elements of unhealthy sexuality. Elements of ego. Elements of self-centeredness. Elements of manipulation. These were all prevalent in my life well before I ever put a drug in my body. Well before I ever put any kind of substance in my body. So finding these spiritual principles can take a while. I was a defect. I was a walking defect when I came into the rooms. So having a concept of a spiritual principle is not an overnight thing. It says in the literature that placing principles before personalities protects us from our own defects of character. Because like I said, I was nothing but a defect of character. And then slowly, as I got to understand these spiritual principles and I got to, to first know them and then understand them and then implement them into my life, I was no longer a walking character defect. I maybe was now just a walking 90% character defect, but that number kept getting lower and lower and lower until the goal happens, which is we become living our lives based on spiritual principles, not living in character defect. But seeing a spiritual principle alternative can be incredibly difficult, especially early on when all we're comfortable with and all we know how to do is act in defect. So seeing a spiritual alternative seems foreign as fuck. It's like, wait, what? What? You mean I don't need to scream at this motherfucker? What? I don't have to act out in anger? What? Fuck is that? You mean I could be honest? What? What the, what the fuck is an honesty? Honesty? What the fuck is that? That's for an addict like me. That was my story early on. But the more that we apply spiritual principles, the easier it becomes to continue applying those spiritual principles. It's kind of like with the third step. The more that we do our work to align our will with our higher power's will, the easier it becomes, the less that we have to question, is this really in my higher power's will? It's the same thing with spiritual principles. The more that we do them, the less we have to question, like, is this a spiritual principle or am I living in defect? It becomes painfully obvious. And as we talked about with steps six and seven, definitely go check out all of these if you haven't listened to them previously. But as we talked about, once we are cognizant of our spirit, of our character defects and their spiritual opposites, living in defect becomes a lot less enjoyable. Living in defect becomes a lot less fun. You know, we have a, a saying in recovery that whatever fellowship it is you go to, but that, that you can never enjoy your high again. The fellowship completely fucks up your enjoyment of using drugs. And it's the same kind of thing. Once we start getting spiritual principles working inside of us, living in defect just gets fucked up. It's not something that is that it's enjoyable. It's not something that we can, can feel good about. It becomes icky. Everything about it becomes icky. And I got to tell you, it is a beautiful feeling to have a situation come up 
That in the past, I would have always reacted or re- reacted in defect and instead now am responding with a spiritual principle. That's one of the greatest feelings that I felt in recovery. To, where have, a, to have a situation present itself that every time in the past I would have gone balls deep into defect on it and instead take a second acknowledge it acknowledge the thought of defect and then look at the spiritual alternative that feeling is one of the greatest feelings and it's it's the evidence of recovery working in my life it's a lot like we talked about in step two where the any time that we can respond to a situation different than we ever have in the past, that is evidence of being restored to sanity. And I, lo- I look at that the same way when it comes to defect versus spiritual principle. Any time that I can approach a situation that I would have always reacted in direct defect and instead, respond with the spiritual principle that is evidence of character defects being removed that is evidence of recovery working in my life that is evidence of the seventh step working in my life so i love that personally and now i actually understand why the spiritual principle of anonymity is so vital to the traditions and to the fellowship as a whole because it is one of the most important spiritual principles that there are because it does tie into everything that we do. And the thing with the spiritual principle of anonymity is that it'll lead to other spiritual principles. When we look at everything equally and we approach things as we're all equals, then we develop a sense of humility because we can let go of these preconceived notions and judgments of others or of ourselves. We can honestly assess who we are, not the best, not the worst just in a plane of equality. When it comes to selfless service, the, the, the concept and the spiritual principle of selfless service, we learn to give without expectations because of anonymity. When it comes to trust, we guard what is being shared in a meeting by, by guarding somebody's anonymity. So anonymity ties in to so many of these things. This is why we, we put principles before personalities. But that doesn't mean that we just leave our personalities outside of the meeting. That doesn't mean that we're, you know, you go to a meeting and everybody's just a robot reciting the exact same shares, saying the exact same keywords about spirits principles. Nah, fuck that, man. Our, our personalities are part of the meetings. They're just not what the meetings are based on. You know, I'm a loud boisterous, vibrant, vivacious type of human being. Yeah, some people can't fucking stand that. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm me. And this tradition allows me to be me. It allows me to be equal with everybody else. It says in the literature, it says, while it may take time for us to work through and trust the process, as we grow in our recovery, we learn we don't have to make our personalities smaller. It's through our differences and difficulties with each other that we learn how to practice principles. And this is so very true. 
especially in service, especially in home group business meetings, especially in these times when them personalities can come out a little bit. I'm guilty of this shit. There have been times, especially early on, when I'd be sitting in a business meeting and there's something that I felt passionate about or I felt was right and I just dug into my defects, dug into them instead of living in spiritual principle, instead of being understanding, instead of being open-minded, instead of being willing, instead of being empathetic. I was self-centered. I was egotistical. I was, I believed I was right. I, my humility was not a thing and that happens. But the more that we have those experiences and walk through them and acknowledge them, because all of this is done by action. All of this of implementation of spiritual principles is done in action. If we're, we, we can't just read it and assume it's going to change. That's just not a thing. I can't just read a laundry list of, of spiritual principles and be like, cool, I'm never going to act in defect now. Nah, it takes fucking effort. It takes fucking work. It takes time to see a character defect, to see a place where personalities are coming out and observe it and understand it and then choose the spiritual option and by doing that we grow by doing that we our character defects get pushed down just a little bit but like i said you know personalities are not left at the door it means that everybody's personality is welcome in the fellowship it even says in the literature it says we enjoy the color, the compassion, the initiative, the rough and tumble liveliness that arises from the diverse personalities of our members. In fact, our diversity is our strength. And that diversity and those members and groups develop levels of personality to them. There certain groups have a certain personality about them, but that personality is never at the expense of the message. The message, the primary purpose has to stay number one. So you could have a loud, boisterous type of meeting. That's fine. But is the primary purpose being carried? Is it being driven? If it's not, then that's a problem. Then that is turned into personalities instead of principles. Can't have that. Can't have that. And while personalities are an active part of every group, of every member of the fellowship, they are not what the, the fellowship is built off of. If the fellowship was built off of personalities, it couldn't be unified. It would be broken down into subsets or groups based on those personalities. You'd have a group of the really loud people. You'd have a group of the supporters of this politician, the, the people who are supporters of this thing. And that's not unified. But you know what's unified? When everybody leaves all that shit away from the message. When the message has a unified goal to it. And when we focus, you know, on the same group of spiritual principles, we have a common goal. When we focus on open-mindedness, when we focus on love, unconditional love, sponsorship, willingness, when we focus on empathy, 
we're able to be more empathetic and we have that unified goal that is attractive. We've talked about that in previous episodes. We have a unified purpose that is attractive to everybody, to anybody walking into a room. If somebody walked into a room and personalities are being thrown around and as we talked about before, the mess is being thrown around and opinions on outside issues are being thrown around, that's not attractive to the whole. Maybe it's attractive to one specific person that vibes in that one specific subset, but doing that is at the detriment for the entire fellowship, and we can't have that. We can't have that. Having a unified goal and a unified purpose and a unified cause is how this fellowship continues. And that's not always easy. We talked about this in, in, our, in our episode about outside issues because everything in life right now feels like it's an outside issue that impacts my recovery in some way. So finding a balance about how to, to, to actually share about the things that are going on in my life while not just shitting a giant mess all over the meeting is massively important. When we focus on that primary purpose, which is, as I said, to carry the message, in our own way, to the best of our ability, within our own personality, but based on spiritual principles, that's the, that's the secret formula. That's, that's the, the, the way that it should be done. That's the way that it has been done and has helped tens of thousands of addicts Get one more day clean. And that's what we're here to do. So hopefully discussing anonymity a little bit more made more sense because I'll admit when I first got into recovery, the concept of anonymity was very foreign to me. It took a, a while to really understand why anonymity is so important and, and what the underlying value of the spiritual principle really is and how much it impacts pretty much everything that we do in the fellowship. So I'm going to close with this quote. It's a little bit of a long one, but I love this quote. It says, tradition 12 brings calm to our lives. We can let go of drama and the need for attention and see what is real. In our lives, outside the fellowship as well, letting go of the focus on personality, including our own, can allow us to see what is happening, what we need, and what we can do. Not every area of our lives is anonymous, but our practice of anonymity in the fellowship and our understanding of anonymity as a spiritual principle grants us safety and security at our personal foundation. That part, that part, that part, that part, that part. yeah, that part. Right there, that part. So that's what we've got for this week in the lab. Again, thank you all. Congratulations. We just made it through all 12 steps and all 12 traditions. And now you're going to have to come back next week to see what's going to be happening in the lab next. So hopefully that helps some people understand the 12th tradition and the concept of the spiritual principle of anonymity. I know what helped this addict. So at the end of the day, even if it only helped this addict, hooray, at least, you know, at least it did something there. So that's what we've got 
for this week in the lab. Join us next week as we take a little bit deeper dive into some things as well. And uh, yeah, let's get on to our next segment. This part of the show is called My Favorite Moment of the Week. We are still not sponsored by Bang, so we still do another free ad read. The Queen of Filthy Podcast, especially My Favorite Moment of the Week, is sponsored by Bang Energy. With 300 milligrams of caffeine, ultra-CoQ10, EAA aminos, and super-creatine, along with a delicious menagerie of unique flavors for energy drinks, Bang Energy is what keeps Matthew M. clean and filthy. Get bang today. Bang harder. Bang again. Bang me. Oh, I just got banged so good. Um, phrasing? All right. I think that was pretty good. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we talk about something that has happened over the last week. It could be something from news, sports, pop culture, social media, my favorite meme, my favorite TikTok. Send me those TikToks. Please send me TikToks. I will never be on TikTok. I fucking hate TikTok. I'll be on Pornhub before I'm on TikTok. But I digress. This is not about experience, strength, and hope and recovery. This is just about what happened over the last week that was cool. Because I like cool shit. Because when I talk about cool shit that's happening in the world, especially when so much of the world is an absolute clusterfuck dumpster fire, it allows me to stay in gratitude for the things that make me happy. And hopefully, we can carry that forward to all of y'all. So, even if it's just me showing my gratitude for an adorable video of a pit bull on Instagram, still keeps me in gratitude, makes me smile. Let's go. Well, you know what we got to talk about first? Bye to all my non-sports fans. I'll tell you to come back here in a couple minutes because we have to process some things, y'all. Sadly, last week we talked about Suns, game six, still had faith, Suns and seven. I believed it. I kept the hope alive. But it, it didn't happen. Game six, Suns came out horribly. Got to talk about it. Came out horribly. Only had 16 points in the first quarter. We were down by 13. But then second quarter, the Suns re rebound. They kind of did exactly what the Bucks did to us in game five. And we're up at halftime. Then going into the fourth quarter, it's tied up at 77 all. And if you just looked at the stat sheet, starting off at like the combined stats for both teams, Suns look pretty good. Most of the of the the Yes, we got out-rebounded again, and they shot a better free-throw percentage, but like pretty everything was, was manageably even. Wasn't great, but could still pull the win out of. And then you look at the Suns' breakdown of stats, and eight out of our nine players scored. Crowder had 15. Payne came in and dropped 10. Aiden, he only had 12. He missed a bunch of these little gimme shots again. We need to work on him being more aggressive in the paint. Dunking balls instead of trying to do little boop shots. Okay. Booker, he had 19, which, okay, wasn't a great night from him, but still. And CP3, he dropped 26. So we're like, okay. Eight out of nine players score, and that's positive. And then you look at the Bucs, and it's like, holy shit, only five of their players scored in the entire game. Five. That should be good, right? 
And you look, okay, Middleton, 17 points. That's manageable. He didn't drop 50. Hooray. Huh, Holiday, he only had 12 points. Huh, Lopez, he only had 10. Hmm, even bug-eyed Bobby Portis. Dude, that dude looks cracked out completely all the time. Everything he does is like that. He scored 16, so you're like, cool. All right. Yeah, the Bucks out-rebounded us, but those are still goodish numbers, right? Except for the fucking fact that Yanni motherfucking vowels went off for a goddamn 50-piece with 14 fucking rebounds. Absolute all-time finals performance. Absolute. One of the greatest finals performances I can remember in quite some time. And in addition to that, he made his fucking free throws, man. The one thing that was like the, the, the defining point that detractors could say, yeah, but he doesn't make his free throws. He made his fucking free throws. He was out there looking like goddamn Chris Paul. And in another game of not making the shots or the shots not dropping that had been dropping previously, another game of untimely turnovers, and the Bucks are officially the champions. Suns are not. The Bucks won the game 105 to 98 and the series four games to two. And Giannis was voted the MVP, which he could have done nothing all series and dropped that that last game and probably still would have gotten the MVP perform or the MVP for the series because that was one of the greatest finals performances I can think of. Side note, they have a really dope-ass Louis Vuitton case for the Larry O'Brien Championship Trophy. Is that a new thing? Because I don't remember seeing that last year when the Lakers won the championship. So somebody out there let me know because that thing was straight drip. It's lit. Fire. So, yeah. But we got to talk about the pain of the series, man, because it was fucking gut-wrenching. Being up two games to none and then lose four straight. Like, I literally, I, I was talking with one of my buddies about this. I would have bet my entire fucking soul that the Suns would not lose four straight games. But hats off to the Bucks, man. They outplayed us. They won that series. It wasn't that the Suns lost that series. The Bucks outplayed us for four straight games, period. And I didn't think that that would be possible. I did not think there was any way, shape, or how that the Suns could lose four straight games. Even as good as the Bucks and Giannis are, I didn't think it was possible. And when you compare that pain, when you compare that pain to the pain of 93, honestly, I, I think it's worse. I'm, I'm not completely sure. I've been going back and forth for the last week about this. Because in 93... Even though we were the number one seed, and even though we'd had this amazing season, we were playing against fucking Jordan, man. And in that series, we lost the first two games, won game three, lost game four. So we were down three games to one in that series. So yes, the, the, the Paxton three-pointer in game six was still one of the defining core memories of my childhood, that I will always fucking remember. And yes, that one moment was more painful. But 
we never really looked like we were going to win that series. There was just hope of like, yeah, maybe we're going to win the series. Woo-hoo, hooray. But it's Jordan. And then we get down 0-2. And... But to be up two games to nothing, to, to be two wins away from a championship, man, and then not win again, that is the type of gut-wrenching pain that I think takes this to the next level and takes it to being more painful than 93. But the only reason that maybe it's not, maybe it's not, and I'm not saying it's not, but maybe it's not, is simply because Giannis is such a fucking likable guy. Like, if we had been up two games to nothing against the fucking Brooklyn Nets and then proceeded to lose four fucking straight fucking games, I might have quit watching sports. That would have been all-time, fuck this, fuck y'all, I'm out. Because fuck that bullshit-ass super team. Fuck three superstars bitching about it to get to be made up to a super team. Even though I love Steve Nash, shout out Steve Nash, but fuck the rest of the Brooklyn Nets. Even though their outfits, that Basquiat outfit, is their fit is fire. I'm just going to say that. With Giannis being such just a likable dude, like, I, I was happy for him. Like, I was despondent. I was sitting in silence watching the celebrations. But him being so humble and hardworking and a genuine dude in the league, like, from where he came from to where he is now, his story is is fucking heartwarming the whole story is like mad wholesome so how could i maybe it's not as painful i think for that reason and also because i fucking hated jordan i fucking hated jordan in 93 i hated jordan until the day he retired honestly but i've never hated Giannis. i hate kevin durant so that's why the nets if they had won woo. But Giannis just seems like such a legit dude. So, and then when you factor in the fact of his performance, when prior to the finals, his knee bent the wrong way. That's legendary, man. It was legendary. And so again, my hat off to them and him. And then when you add in his... IG live that he did afterwards where he rolled up to Chick-fil-A with the Larry O'Brien trophy and the Bill Russell trophy and ordered a 50 piece of nuggets, not a 49 piece, not a 51 piece, a 50 piece. That was, that was kind of cool. And then the videos of him letting fans reach into his G wagon and touch the trophy. That's pretty cool. So, and then another thing that we have to talk about. There was a ton of hate afterwards because our coach, Monty Williams, addressed the Bucks after, the, after we lost and gave them credit and said, thank you for making me a better coach. And there were some writers that came out and just eviscerated Monty, like, oh, you're just trying to take this, the shine away from the Bucks, and that's a selfish, egotistical move and blah, 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 blah. Giannis flat out said, I invited Monty Williams into our locker room. I told everybody to turn off the music, to stop Chris Boshing each other with fucking champagne. 
I did that. This wasn't Monty Williams trying to steal the fucking spotlight. This was him showing good sportsmanship and congratulating a better team at the desire of Giannis. So just get that out of the way. Anybody talking some shit about about Monty, fuck out of here with that shit. And at the end of the day, I got to say congratulations to the Suns. Two, two seasons away from being the absolute worst team in the league to making it to the finals. There's going to be a lot of questions this, this offseason. There's already talk about sign and trade to, get, to trade away Chris Paul. There's already some, some craziness that has to be figured out. If we had won it, I'm pretty po- positive Chris Paul would have been staying, but, he's, but we didn't win it. So, But great season. Hats off to the Suns. Let's do it again. As Giannis said, we very well might run it back next year. Here's to hoping. And, uh, yeah, I'm sad. Let's, let's go. I digress. All right. Everybody, sports are done. Welcome back, y'all. All right. Got to get another drink of this yeet juice here. Ah, key lime, so delicious. So, next thing up in my favorite moment of the week, we are talking about the weekly fitness update. My current weight is 215.2 pounds. I worked out twice this past week. One For one, my son is now doing swimming lessons. And so that's on a day when I would usually be working out. Um, and we also had a recovery event this past weekend that we're going to talk about a little bit further. So I was very stressed and taking care of a lot of other responsibilities. But I had a really solid push day. I put up 110-pound dumbbells with no spot, no assistance on flat bench. That was cool. And then leg day. I actually had a really solid leg day, and I made a, a realization. I made the realization that I no longer need to try to feed my ego based on gym stuff. Like, I'll admit, when I would do leg press, I would have the chair in the closer position for, like, short people. So then my legs didn't have to go back and forth as far. And I knew I was doing this. I just didn't really acknowledge it. And yesterday I said, nah. I want to get the best out of this. I want to build the most strength. I want to do the most beneficial lift for this. So I put the chair where it should be for my six-foot-two ass. And guess what? My amounts went down significantly because now I'm having to engage all of my legs instead of just going boop, boop. But still, that felt good. Squatting. I used to be, oh, I'm going to put up 315. Oh, I'm going to do this. And then I realized that I'm not actually getting the benefit out of it. Only thing that's getting fucking fluffed in that perspective is my brain, not my butt or my thighs, the things that I want to get bigger. All that's going is my character defect. So now I go mad lightweight and I go all the way down till my ass is damn near on the ground with good form and good range of motion because that's what's going to be most beneficial for me for my strength and my later size and getting up to higher weights, not my ego. So solid at the gym. This is my last week of lifting individual body parts. After that, we're going to start the August challenge of all core and cardio all the time. Still trying to change my my perception on that and my perspective. It hasn't really worked too well yet. Next thing we're going to talk about is the Olympics. All I'm going to say about them is I have no interest in them at all. And, like, I usually don't have a ton of interest. Like, I'll watch basketball and track and field and the things that 
the U.S. usually dominates pretty well. Gymnastics, swimming. But I have absolutely no desire to watch this year. And I don't know if it's the fans not being there. I don't know if it's my overall feelings on the Olympics at all. Like, I really don't think it should be happening. And therefore, the fact that they're forcing it kind of to happen just speaks to like a complete cash grab to me because they put too much money in. They've got to get money back, which just makes me not want to co-sign it. So, yeah, I don't really care. I, I, I really don't care. The only thing I've watched of the Olympics was the Snapchat recap of it. And I watched the, the Brazilian swim coach absolutely losing his mind. That was funny. Next thing I got to say, fucking reality of this disease. I got to give a rest in peace shout out to my boy, Angelo. Angelo M. out in Vegas. He uh, was the admissions director at my old, my old treatment center. And really cool dude. Really, really funny guy. Um, I didn't have a ton of direct involvement with him. He wasn't like a BHT, um, but I would see him when I was in treatment there and when I was there for IOP and talked to them a bunch. And uh, it's crazy to me because when I knew him, he was so about his recovery. And especially for a newcomer like me, I saw somebody like him and that was like kind of what I wanted to have. I'm like, this guy's he's, he's wearing nice clothes. He's a good looking dude. He's got a nice car. You know, he's got five plus years clean. And in my mind, that's what I was striving for. And in my mind, he was one of those people who's never going to relapse. The thought wasn't there. But this is just further evidence that any of us are one decision away from death. And that's not being over the top or extreme or triple extra. That is the fact that any of us are one decision away. One moment of, of forgetting about our recovery away from death. And that's, that's a terrifying thing for me. That's part of the reason why I am so involved in my recovery because I don't want that to be me. I don't want to get disconnected from the program. I don't want to, to have to get reintegrated into the program. It's easier for me just not to leave. And I want to do everything I can to keep that same thought process. So rest in peace, brother. Rest in peace, man. And um, everybody out there, check on your people, man. You know, check on your people, the whole pandemic, the whole how powerful shit is on the street these days, man. Check on your people and tell them you love them because you never know when that might be the last chance you get to, honestly. Um, so rest in peace, brother. Um, next thing we got to talk about just for a second is the Jeff Bezos space flight. I'm conflicted about this, man, because part of me has this vibe of like, yes, humanity is progressing to completely new uncharted territories. And who knows, maybe soon enough, it's, we're all going to be living like in the TV show, The Expanse, and I'm going to be chilling out on series station. You know, there's that part of me. And then there's the other part of me that's like, what a blatant waste of resources when there's so much that could be done to help. But the memes that came out of it, though, were absolute fire. Like, his fucking dick rocket he was riding in, that shit was straight out of Austin Powers, bro. Like, whoever came up with the design of that, okay, I'm sure that the, the, the design had something to do with the function, but could you at least not give it such a bulbous cockhead? Like, the fuck? I don't know. I digress. Gotta talk about this week's favorite moment of TikTok. <laughs> Still not a segment yet, but there is so much good content on TikTok but I refuse to be a member of TikTok. I will be on Pornhub before I am, am on TikTok. I digress. There's this awesome dude named Colors. He does breakdowns of rap lyrics 
like on a scientific level, scientific, wow, scientific level, he busts out his pad and paper and he plays the line and then breaks things down and like, okay, if this means this and this means this, he blew my mind with one. Drake's song, God's plan, right? Everybody knows that shit. Second verse, you think that love I only love my bed and my mama, I'm sorry, right? He, Drake loves his bed and his mama, right? Nah, motherfucker. Drake's son's middle name is my bed. Also, anything he does on Eminem is like ridiculous. Just the, the level of intricate double and triple and quadruple entendres is ridiculous. So check him out. It's spelled at C-O-L-U-R-S underscore. He's fire. But my actual favorite moment of the week happened on Saturday. And it was a sponsee sponsor luncheon put on by the entertainment and fundraising subcommittee for our regional convention here in Arizona. And I've been a member of this subcommittee for the last couple of years. And the point of this subcommittee is to get people excited for the convention and to put on events leading up to the convention and then plan all of the entertainment at the convention. While I've been a member the last couple of years, I previously had helped, you know, MC events or be of service however I could at the convention. And last year we didn't have an in-person convention, so we did a virtual convention that actually worked out pretty well. And I hosted that and it was super cool. But this year, the regional committee decided to vote myself in as the chair. And they waived my clean time, where you supposed to have to have five years. And at that point, I, I had less than three. And I never served in any kind of elected regional service position. And being a chair is a lot different than simply being a part of a subcommittee. We're writing reports and spend, sending minutes and having a budget. Like, I have a budget to spend money on shit. The fuck? and finding event locations and getting contracts signed and getting insurance for that event, like then trying to build a subcommittee where the previous subcommittee didn't have much involvement and in the middle of a pandemic, trying to, to find people to be of service when there are no physical meetings and only seeing a percentage, a small percentage of people virtually and then trying to plan events in the middle of a pandemic that'll be appealing virtually to a whole fellowship. It was, very, it was incredibly difficult. But one of the greatest things about being elected as chair of that subcommittee is it challenging some of my character defects. Character defects of perfectionism. Character defects of control. Actually being required to rely on others. And this is something I've always struggled with doing whether it be in recovery, whether it was prior when in my work life, I was always the type of person like, if I want something done right, I'm going to do it myself. Mer. But that's not how this operates. We operate by asking for help and then trusting in that help. So thankfully I have a great subcommittee. Shout out to the subcommittee members. And again, when I say I have a great subcommittee, I'm not saying this is my subcommittee. I'm just saying that this is the subcommittee that I chair and shout out to the other members of this subcommittee, you know, being able to depend on them, to trust their opinions, to trust that they can help listening to group conscience 
when it's not my perspective. Whew. Now that right there is a antidote to control. Listening to others, being open-minded to it, and then following through with, with the group conscience, even when it is opposed to my thought process, forces you to let go of control. And my goodness, the anxiety involved the night prior to this event, I was running around like a fucking chicken with my head cut off. You know, even though this is not my subcommittee, even though I'm just a trusted servant on this subcommittee, I'm not wanting to let people down. You know, I felt like if I fuck something up, oh my God, everything's going to go to shit. It's going to be my fault. They waived my clean time for because they believed I could do this and then I'm going to fail miserably. All the, 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 the self-doubt, negative self-talk was running Usain Bolt speed through my fucking head. That part. It was ridiculous. And after months of planning and finding mistakes like forgetting to submit insurance paperwork for the event and all of those things we finally had our first event and this was the first live regional event in a year and a half and like i said the night before i was just sitting spun my brain was spun i was thinking of every single possible thing i was checking and rechecking even though i know what i'm capable of even though i know that because of people around me and the support of a loving and caring higher power. I, I believe that I was capable of this. That self doubt, that self doubt, that negative self talk was like, nah, bro, you going to fuck up. You going to fuck something up. And the entire event is going to be shit. That was on perpetual motion through my brain. I apologize to the people that were in contact with me and communication with me and around me Friday night. Cause I can imagine that was not fun watching me running through my condo, checking and rechecking that I've got things and places and whatever. I, I, I can imagine that was difficult. And through all that negative self-talk and all that self-doubt and all that fear of failure, my goodness, was it successful? Almost too successful. Because we were planning, I was honestly hoping that if we had 35 people show up, that would be positive. If we could break even, hooray. And we planned our food and our raffle tickets and stuff for a maximum of 60 people. And we ended up with almost 100. We had 90 plus people. We sold out of the food. We sold out of the raffle tickets. We were out of chairs. I had to go out to my car and pull in one of my portable camping chairs just so people would have places to sit. We had two great speakers. We had tons of fellowship. Seeing people I hadn't seen in a year and a half, it was amazing. And the feeling of accomplishment of, of the group coming together and putting on an event that was, for all intensive purposes, I don't want to say perfect, but there weren't any major issues. Yes, I forgot a couple things. I admit that. Now I get to learn for next time. But to have us all come together like that and be responsible for each other, for the subcommittee, and for the greater good, being able to be of service to help the message be carried, God, it was, it was an absolutely incredible feeling. And it's funny because even though 
I know that it's not my subcommittee. And even though right now, the fact that it was successful, I don't feel ego over that. I don't feel like, yeah, I fucking did it, bro. I rocked. I genuinely feel like we collectively did a really great job. I know that if we would have failed, I would have 100% believed it was because of me. So that's an interesting thought process I probably need to look at a little bit more. That's probably some elements of, of character defect that I probably should look at a little bit more. But shout out to the subcommittee members for coming through and helping put on a great event, a very successful event, monetarily, from a fellowship perspective, from an excitement leading up to the convention perspective, everybody killed it. And shout out to each and every one of you, myself included, because I'm a part of that subcommittee. Um, and then afterwards, oh, I went to Habit Burger, yo. I ate a triple. And then I went back and got a double. Yeah, I ate five patties in celebration, which is probably a problem. I probably need to look at my relationship with food and utilizing it in a celebratory type of fashion because that's probably unhealthy. But I digress. We'll get to that at some other point. I'm not far enough in my recovery to start looking at that relationship yet. We got other things to unpack first. So that's what we got for my favorite moment of the week. It was amazing. Shout out to anybody who came through. I, I'm so happy that everybody did. I'm so happy that it was successful. And I'm so happy that the people on the subcommittee and also who just were there to be of service, I love you all. Thank you so much. So that's what we have for my favorite moment of the week. Come back next week. We're going to talk about more stuff that comes up. If you have something from the past week or during the next week that you want me to check out, send it over to me on any social media account. I love checking out everything on there. So send it over and maybe we'll talk about it on our next episode. And now it is time to head to our third segment called... It's time to ask an addict with your host, Matthew M. That's right, y'all. This is the part of the show where the resident addict of the Clean and Filthy podcast responds to questions submitted by our listeners and viewers. If you would like to have a question answered on air, please make sure to send it over. Of course, you can send it to Matthew at cleanandfilthypodcast.com. You can send it on over at any of the social media links, or you can go to the website, click contact us, send over your question. I love answering questions. This is like a Reddit AMA. Ask me anything. They do not have to be recovery-related questions. They happily can be. But as you'll see from one of the questions today, they might just be ridiculous, asinine questions. I like answering questions, so send them over. Obviously, there's going to be some experience, strength, and hope in here, but there's also a lot of my own personal perspective and, and opinion on things. So, first question we had says, do you think it's possible that people can be addicted to weed? Now, this is a question coming from somebody who's outside of the fellowship. This is, you know, somebody who's a normie and is asking this question. And it's interesting because now that weed is legal in the majority, well, I mean, maybe not the majority, but in a lot of states, it is legal. And because it is viewed as like, oh, it's a plant, it's from the earth, you know, it's legal. This isn't a problem. It becomes, this, this, this thought process has to be explored more. Because even though physically 
you will not get addicted to weed the way that you would off of heroin or any other opiate or cocaine or alcohol or benzos. It's not going to be a true physical addiction. You're not going to be shitting yourself, kicking weed. But regardless of how it affects that physical element, the things that it does to us mentally tie directly into to the disease of addiction. And it's difficult because, you know, people talk about smoking weed all the time. And most people that even ones who are addicted to weed aren't watching their lives crumble because of their weed addiction, aren't out, you know, committing felonies or living on the street or any of those things because of weed. But the feeling of spiritual bankruptcy is the same across any substance. The disease of addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't give a fuck if the substance is legal or if the substance causes direct physical withdrawals. It doesn't give a fuck about that. All it cares is the the feeling within of emptiness and loneliness and, and despair and being broken spiritually. That can apply to Anything, anything that we are using to escape ourselves or escape our feelings, whether it be a substance, whether it be an activity, whether whatever it is, if we are using something, substance, activity, process addiction, whatever it is, to escape a feeling, to change our reality, that opens itself to the disease of addiction. That opens itself to the potential that it could have very detrimental effects. I personally have sponsored guys whose drug of choice was weed. And it can be very difficult because a lot of times when, when they come into the rooms, they feel that their, their disease of addiction and their addiction wasn't bad enough. Start finding the differences instead of the similarities. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That's why we talk about how much it doesn't matter what we used or how we used it, how much or how little you did. All that matters is what you want to do about your problem and how we can help. Because the feeling of being spiritually bankrupt can be just as bad or even worse with some things than others. For me personally, I felt more spiritual bankruptcy because of the use of sex than I did from using drugs. So inherently, that would speak to levels of addiction. That would speak to levels of being broken. So anything, whether it's legal, whether it's not, whatever, can lead to direct addiction to it. So in the, the, the physical form, no, it's not an addicted addictive substance. You're not going to be withdrawn like Pookie in New Jack City, you know, or, or looking like Jared Leto in Requiem for a Dream off of weed. But the, the mental and the spiritual and the emotional elements of the addiction are 100% there. So that's what we have for the first question. I think it's important a topic to always discuss because now that, you know, more people are smoking weed, and it, it, it's become such an accepted commonplace that could very well have detrimental effects. You know, the, 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 the view that people have of an addict is going to continue to grow and change. I know for me personally, my view of an addict was somebody shooting up puddle water. 
behind a dumpster prior to getting into recovery. And now I realize that my view of an addict is anybody who has that feeling of spiritual bankruptcy because of the disease of addiction. So hopefully that helped a little bit. Hopefully that adds a, a little bit of clarity to that question. And thank you very much for the question. The next question, like I said, questions that have no tie to recovery at all, is what is my favorite cracker? Hmm. Interesting. You had me with cracker because I absolutely love carbs. So I love eating crackers. They're delicious. First one I got to say is the Milton's multigrain cracker. But really the only reason that I vibe with that one is because it pairs so perfectly with a delicious jalapeno and artichoke dip. But if you take the dip away, I really don't fucks with that kind of cracker. So let's go next. Garlic triscuits, yo. Ooh, I could eat those with or without something. But they're even better when you slice a little piece of pepper jack cheese up on it. Mm, pretty good. But if I'm going to go with a cracker that I can just straight raw dog, don't eat anything else with it, just straight up from the bag to the mouth and back again, we're going to, of course, I can't just give a straight answer. I got I to gotta quantify this, right? I got to qualify this, right? First off, graham crackers are crackers, right? Even though they kind of taste like cookies, and even though they don't have the same kind of cracker vibe as other crackers, I'm going to say, this is my motherfucking podcast. So I'm going to say that they are crackers. In that case, I love cinnamon graham crackers. I could eat them shits by the box because they got that cookie vibe. But if we're talking a traditional, in the generally accepted parameters of what a snack cracker would be, I'm probably going to go with goldfish for two reasons. One, they can be consumed by the handful. And two, thanks to having a three-year-old son, they're always in my house. So, yeah. Also, I don't know if this is technically a cracker, but there are these really good pepper jack like slabs of cheese that I don't know if they're like dehydrated or what, but they get kind of turned into a cracker and they're delicious. But I don't know if that really quantifies as a cracker. At the end of the day, what does this show? I am a fucking trash panda who loves carbohydrates and I will eat any of them because I have very, very little self-control. There's your fucking answer. I'm now I really like low key. I'm going to go fucking devour those baby goldfish that are in my kitchen hiding right now. Sorry, son. Daddy's got to eat. All right. Next question is my sponsor is telling me that if I don't call them every day, every day, they're going to drop me. Is this a red flag or am I a piece of shit who needs to just be calling my sponsor every day? All right, we got to look at a couple elements in this. First off, I personally, as a sponsor, subscribe to the element of calling every single day. I tell every single person who wants me to sponsor them, before I will sponsor them, I want you to call me every single day for the next seven days. And this isn't me being like tyrannical or like, yeah, bro, this is what you got to do. Hey, I'm your master. Nah, fuck all that. It's to see willingness. It's the most basic as, like, exercise of willingness that we have in the program. Make a phone call for seven straight days. That's very simple. So that is what I, I will always have anybody new that wants me to sponsor them do. Because if there's not that willingness to even make a phone call, 
How is there going to be willingness to do the work, to do the step work? So I don't feel like that is a dickish type of thing to do. I, I don't feel like that is a red flag. I think that is an, uh, an important element. I know of a story. I was, on a, I was on a meeting recently, and I don't remember if it was a speaker jam or somebody celebrating like 30 plus years clean, but he told a story about when he first got clean. He called this dude every single day for 26 days straight. Never got an answer until day 27. And to this day, 30 years later, that dude is still a sponsor. So I, I think that that's something that, you know, was an important thing. Taking it to 30, 30 days is excessive. You know, if not answering somebody for 30 days, that's excessive. But I tell my sponsees or when they want to become a sponsee, you need to call me every single day. And if I don't answer, that's fine. Leave me a message. And the reason that we do this isn't to be dicks, isn't to feel important, isn't to be egotistical. It's to get in the habit of making that call regardless. Making that call whether it's been something good or something bad. Because all of us will be more likely to make that phone call when, the, when the, our worlds are collapsing. When the shit has hit the fucking fan and it is spraying all over the room. Okay, maybe now we'll call somebody. But I also want to de develop that relationship to where somebody will call when there's a good thing going on when it's a positive or when nothing when it's a balanced nothing day just call to to to, to verbalize that because once we do that we have established that routine and once we get in that routine we develop that relationship and once we develop that relationship we can have a foundation and from that foundation we build off of our recovery we build our recovery you can't you can't build a fucking bridge without putting some support beams up, right? You can't fucking build a bridge without putting... I don't fucking know. I don't know how to build a bridge, yo. Regardless, it takes a lot of fucking steps. You don't just throw the motherfucker up there and be like, yeah, go in the water, cool. It takes a lot of steps, and that's the same reason that having a, a sponsee call every single day does that. And I will say, for the first 90 days, it's massively important. And we've talked about before, you know, there's a difference between kind of day-to-day -day sponsors and step sponsors only. But in the beginning, I feel like everybody needs to be a day-to-day -day sponsor. We need to help cultivate that newcomer's foundation. We need to help cultivate that newcomer's relationship and get them connected within the fellowship. And part of the way we do that is by developing that routine. So once it gets past 90 days, I'm not saying it needs to be every single day. I, I don't have any sponsees other than newcomer ones currently that call me every single day. And that's, that's fine. I'm not saying they need to. But I usually call my sponsor at least once a week, and I usually talk to each one of my sponsees at least once a week because that's where the recovery bridge has grown to or gone to or the, the level of structure within that. I don't fucking know. I, I fucked up that metaphor, that analogy very badly. So we're just going to not look at it because because I apparently need to go learn about the structural engineering within building a bridge or some shit. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I don't feel I've never personally fired a sponsee. I don't buy I don't really believe in that. So that concept is is kind of foreign to me. Um, you know, the I, I don't I would never fire a sponsee, but I also tell every sponsee I don't chase sponsees. I do not. I'm not the type of sponsor who's calling a sponsor like, hey, bro, 
why didn't you call me yesterday? That's not me. That's not me. It's because it says in our literature, if you want what we have to offer and are willing to make an effort to get it, then I will be there to support. I will talk to you whenever you, you need something and you call me, I will answer. But I'm not calling you. I'm calling my sponsor. So I personally would never fire a sponsee. But in the same sense, if a sponsee is not willing to do the work, then sadly, they often will fire themselves. And that's just that's just a way of life. So for me, I don't think it's a red flag. I think that if your sponsor is asking you to call every single day, there's a reason for it It's to develop that that repetition and then that rapport and then that relationship and then that foundation and then the beautiful bridge. I fucked that up. All right. That's what we got for this week of Ask an Addict. If you have any other questions you want to submit them, send them over on any of the social medias so that we can give you a shout out and give you an answer to your question, possibly. All right. So, it's almost out of time, y'all. But you know, we can't close up without the quick time shout outs. This is the portion of the show where we give out shout outs for various lengths of continuous clean time the different recovery milestones that we celebrate and that is anybody at a newcomer with 29 days clean or less anybody with 30 days clean anybody with 60 days clean 90 days clean six months clean nine months clean one whole year clean 18 months clean or multiple years clean and we like to do them books for multiple years as well but that ain't enough y'all we got to give them shout outs for big whole numbers as well. You get 100 days, you get 500 days, 1,000 days, 10,000 days. We giving you a shout out. So we got to get refueled here. And let's go. We all know I love doing clean time. I get super hyped for this. So first and foremost, the most important person as a newcomer from Twitter, we got Steven G. Well done. Welcome. And then next up, with two years clean, we got Lionel. Well done. And then next up, with three years clean, it's a dude I knew before recovery, and now I know him in recovery. We got my boy Cam. Well done. And then next up from Twitter, we got Jose with four years clean. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And then next, we've got Dave A with seven years clean. Boop, 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 boop. Well done. And then next up from Facebook with 18 years clean. We're going to need a little help with this one. We've got Trisha E. Yeah, and then next up with 19 years clean, we've got Cassie. Yeah, and then we got all the way from Sweden, we got my boy Anders. With 10,000 days clean. That's 27.38 years. So we're going. (laughs) 
Ooh, okay, we got a hardcore reload. Strap in the beta mag because we got one more. And with 35 years clean, we've got Tim B. I'm sweating now, y'all. That's what we do here. We celebrate that clean time. You know why? Because every day clean is a successful day. That motherfucking part. So if you didn't use today, congratulations. Give yourself a hand. And you're a miracle. Every single day clean is a successful day. So that's what we do. If you got a celebration coming up between now and next week, make sure to send it over to me. Anywhere, social medias, anywhere, anyhow, get it over here. Tell me your first name, your first or your last initial, how much time you're celebrating so we can give you a shout out on air. All right, y'all. Well, thank you all for being here. That was a great episode. We, we went, that was our longest episode ever. We talked about a lot today. I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being here. Again, huge thank you to our episode sponsor, etc. by Emily. Huge thank you to our episode theme music, Anything by Alice in Wonderland, Valentino Khan. Thank you again to our VIP contributors. Make sure to download anywhere you possibly can on all social and on, on all podcast directories. Make sure to come back next Tuesday, 5 p.m. on YouTube. And as I always say, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I love each and every one of you. Even if I don't know you, even if I'll never meet you, I love you. And thank you for being a part of my recovery. I'll see everybody next week, y'all. Stay blessed. <laughs>